All right, if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, the title of my message is Christmas Humility. When we think about Christmas and the birth of Christ, I don't think we really understand how profound and stunning and, and shocking it is. Take the Irish nativity set, for example. Back in 2006, Joseph Stagora uh, ripped this out of a magazine. This is an advertisement, this was back in 2006, for the first time ever, the Irish nativity. Now, you may wonder about this, but uh, there is in this picture, uh, well, oh, there it is, um, there's, of course, Joseph and Mary who are dressed in emerald green. As you can see, the baby Jesus' manger is lined, it's striped with 24-karat gold. There is a Celtic cross in the background. And there are no camels, but there are lambs. Did this take place in Ireland? I actually looked up some more Irish nativities. Unfortunately, this has set off a, a, an entire pandemic of Irish nativity sets. I saw one with an emerald star as the star of Bethlehem. Another one, I'm not lying, the three wise men were three leprechauns with top hats and shamrocks. One of them had four-leaf clovers sprinkled around the manger. Good luck, Jesus. And the other one literally had a huge four-leaf clover lining the manger. How is this possible? I don't even think there were people living in Ireland during the first Christmas. Now, I, I have a great affection for the Irish. I'm a Donahue. I'm, I'm Irish myself. But there are massive problems with the Irish nativity set, the biggest being that it draws attention away from Jesus and it puts it on Ireland. It completely misses the point of the incarnation that God humbled himself and lowered himself beyond human comprehension. He, he became a helpless baby, born in a cold, filthy stable. This was the greatest display of humility that the world has ever seen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 6 says that though he was in the form of God, Jesus is God. He's the very essence and nature of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully divine and fully human, as the Nicene Creed says. He is very God of very God. This is what makes the birth of Christ and the story of Christmas so utterly stunning. We're, We're talking about God taking on flesh, and coming to this earth, becoming one of us. And as I thought about this, I realized that the only way to try to understand this was was to try to look at what it was like for Jesus before he came to the earth. And this is where the book of Revelation comes in. Now, Revelation takes place after the birth of Jesus, but it does give us a glimpse into heaven and what heaven is like for the Son of God. I, I've been reading over and over again the passage in, passages in Revelation that talk about Christ. And this is what I've seen. There are great thrones. There are great angels, multitudes of angels and saints, living creatures and 24 elders and thousands upon thousands, multitudes upon multitudes gathered together surrounding the throne. There is the constant roar of voices lifting up great praise. And Jesus is in the center of it all. He is at the center of the praise and the glory and honor. He, he's worshipped and exalted. And I tried to think of something that could help us understand this. The best that I could come up with was, like, was it, it would be like a World Cup soccer final. You know, soccer is by far the most popular sport in the world. Imagine if you are from a small country and they have made the final as an underdog against a big evil country and the game is tied, it's in the final seconds, your star player steals the ball and streaks toward the goal, and as the clock expires, he kicks a rocket that hurdles into the back of the net, and the stadium and your country and the entire world just explodes in the loudest sound of praise and joy that you have ever heard. And the star player is in the center of it all, and the whole world is showering him with glory. this This is what Jesus has experienced for all eternity. Glory beyond anything that you can imagine. All of heaven pouring out love and affection and adoration on the Savior, the Father and the Spirit, exalting and rejoicing in the Son day and night. If I could use one word to capture what I see in the book of Revelation, it's the word glory. Listen to 
to these verses in Revelation. This is Revelation 4. Then I looked, this is the Apostle, this is the Apostle John. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. He has all the power and wealth. He deserves all the wealth and wisdom. He has all the wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 19, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. He reigns. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. This is heaven. This is Christ in the center of all the glory and honor. This is the Son of God. And in one of the most profound and shocking verses in the Bible, it says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to his position. He didn't hold on to that glory and majesty. He didn't hold on to his rights as God. He didn't grasp for equality with the Father. Now, Adam and Eve did. You remember in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, remember this? They wanted to be like God. When they took that fruit, they were grasping for equality with God. They made a grab to be like God. But Jesus didn't grasp. He didn't exalt himself or, or hold on to his equality with God. He lowered himself. He became, he was the better Adam. He became the second and, and greater Adam. And then it, it says in verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant. You know what the form of a servant is? It's a human being. That's what we are. We are made to serve. That is our call. That is, that is the form that we exist in. And Jesus took the form of a servant by becoming human, by becoming a helpless baby. In an instant, the Son of God, who knew only glory and worship, was now implanted in the womb of a poor teenage Jewish virgin. He went from, from deafening praise in an instant to utter silence where he could only hear the heartbeat of his mother. And then God the Son developed and grew inside of Mary for nine months. And then he was pushed out of his mother's womb and born in a cold, dirty, smelly stable. God 
was born like other human beings. He was now a helpless baby. I mean, you know this, babies can do almost nothing for such a long time. It, it's years until a baby can take care of themselves. It's not like baby animals that kind of come out and they can walk and eat. You know, the baby giraffe kind of comes out and he's stumbling out, but he can eat and walk. Oh, there's a lion, run away. You know, he can do these things instantly. When humans are born, they are helpless and so weak. They know almost nothing. They can do almost nothing. They can say almost nothing. Think about Jesus laying helpless and weak in Mary's arms. He's the one who created the earth and the, the sun and the stars. And now he's weak and helpless. I heard something really interesting recently that you know the distance between the, the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. And I heard someone say that if the distance between the earth and the sun was represented by the thickness of a standard piece of paper, the nearest star to us would be a stack of paper 70 feet tall. And if you wanted to measure the width of our galaxy, it would be a stack of paper 300 miles tall. And that's just our galaxy. There are billions of galaxies. Jesus spoke these stars and these galaxies into place. And now, in a moment in time, he lays helpless in his mother's arms. He needed his mother for everything. He couldn't do anything. He literally made himself nothing. This is unimaginable humility. It is utterly astounding. He went from the highest of all possible highs to the lowest of all possible lows. He lowered himself. He went down, down, down to that crude manger. He let go of his glory and honor and adoration to become an infant. And I was trying to think of, of some way to relate to this. And I, I thought it's like someone who has everything and loses it all. And I read historically about many kings in France, England, emperors of Rome who had everything. Incredible palaces and riches and glory. And they lost it all. They were dethroned and stripped of their power. Many were killed. Some were exiled or imprisoned. But the difference is that all these kings were forcibly humbled. They had the crowns ripped off of their heads. They didn't choose to relinquish their throne or their glory, but Jesus did. He could have held on to his rights as king and as God, but he didn't. And no one could have taken it from him, trust me. No one could have taken his glory or, or his majesty or his position from him. He had to choose to lay it down. And that's what he did. And that's what Christmas is all about. And then, as if becoming a child and a servant wasn't already the greatest act of humility for all time, he humbled himself even more. Verse 8 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. It's one thing to think about Jesus becoming a man and posturing himself as a servant like when he washed his disciples' feet. It's another thing to think about him humbling himself to the point of death. And not just any old death, but the worst death imaginable. Death on a cross. Remember those scenes in heaven where Jesus is at the center of all praise and glory with heaven magnifying him and praising him with one voice? Now look at him as he is tied to a post and his back is ripped open. The hero of heaven is bloodied and beaten beyond recognition. He was condemned as a worthless criminal. He was stripped naked and hung screaming and bleeding on a cross. You know, the Romans liked to crucify people right at the city gate so that everyone could see as they passed by. Think of it like Jesus being crucified over the entrance to Target. He's hanging there naked and bloody for all to see hanging there in agony and utter shame. Think about the shame of it all. He had never known shame. He'd only known love and adoration and joy for all eternity. But he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. What can we even say to this? What do we do with this? I think we just have to spend time thinking about it. We have to spend time looking at it. Think about Jesus laying in that manger, in that food trough. Think about him hanging on that cross for our sins. Look at him. Worship him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Now, the good news is that he did not stay on this cross or in that place of shame. Verse 9 says, therefore, because of his humility, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Because of his humility, the Father has highly exalted him. Because Jesus humbled himself, the Father has restored his glory and honor and placed Jesus once again in the center of praise and worship. The Christmas gift that we're focusing on this morning in this series is the humility of Christ. And there are two points of application I want to make. First, Christ's humility helps us to be humble when life is hard. Have you ever heard of The J-Curve? Okay, this is a book by Paul Miller, and he talks about how the gospel has a shape, a, a, a J-shape, where you go down and then you come back up. So the J-Curve is a, 
is the path of humility that we take along with Jesus who willingly humbled himself. He went down, he humbled himself, he chose a path of, of service and lowliness in order to save us, and in return, God highly exalted him. God often bestows blessings and victories and successes on us after we choose the path of humility, after we decide to follow him down the humble path. And we see this J-curve ultimately played out in the life of Jesus, right? He's put through temptation and trial and suffering. At, at the end of his life, he is nailed to the cross, receiving the judgment for all of our sin. But then there is a resurrection. A life that comes after death. That's what verse 9 is talking about. Since Jesus humbled himself by letting go of his glory and dying on the cross, he's now glorified. He, he's raised from the dead and is given life. God vindicates and rewards and exalts him. That's why Jesus is highly exalted and given the name that is above every name. And our lives, listen, our lives have a similar J shape. We're not just saved by the gospel. We're called to imitate the gospel to recognize that when we're facing trials or difficulties or temptations or suffering, God is taking us down and humbling us so that he can bring growth and life and honor to us, even honor. The key is to find God in the midst of these challenges and to embrace our own suffering too in a sense, die little deaths, especially to, to pride. I heard a message years ago, uh, a pastor was saying that he was just going through this really difficult time of, of humbling, a situation that's really humbling, and he was praying to the Lord, and he said, Lord, Lord, it hurts, Lord, my pride, this hurts. And he felt like the Lord said, if it hurts, it ain't dead yet. If your pride hurts, it ain't dead yet. God wants to kill our pride. And God is able to humble us. How many people know God is able to humble you? I, listen, he, God will humble us when we're proud. The reason I know this is because I have experienced it so many times. The challenge is to embrace these times of humbling and not try to resist them, to allow yourself to go down in that J-curve and not shortcut it and try to get to the resurrection part really quick. I had a situation recently where somebody had sinned against me. They, they had judged me, and I wanted to get out of it. I didn't want to humble myself. I wanted to shortcut, cut across the J there and get out of it. You know how I did that? By, I was tempted to, to just judge the person back, to, to slander them. But I remembered that Jesus was judged. He was slandered. He, he was misunderstood. And he humbled himself. And if he humbled himself for something far worse, I could certainly humble myself in my situation and share in the sufferings of Christ in a small way. And so I let God take me a little lower into that Jacob. And guess what? If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Paul Miller says that's Paul's 
central message to the Philippians. Don't just believe the gospel, but enter the life of suffering love that I'm modeling for you. The Philippians don't need to believe the gospel more as as important as that is. They need to become like the gospel. The church today needs to do the same, to enter into the dying and rising of Jesus in everyday life. Let me ask you a question. Where is God seeking to humble you? Are you embracing it? Or are you trying to take the shortcut? Are you trying to get out of it? God wants us to be humble and he wants us to go lower with him. Second point of application is that Christ's humility leads to our unity. The goal of this passage is to see the humility of Christ because when we see this amazing gift of humility, it will produce humility in us and it will produce unity among us. Look at verse two. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That means having the same mind as Christ, having the same love, the same love that Christ has, and then being in full accord and of one mind. That's unity. He's talking about us being unified. And then he talks about our pride and humility. In verse 3, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. You want a challenge. Here's a life goal for you. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. In other words, he's saying this is the mindset that we should have. And it's actually the mindset that we already have because it's the mindset of Christ. And Christ is in us. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters... We're called to be humble. We're called to be humble. And you know what? There's not a lot of people celebrating humility these days. Not in the world, and unfortunately often not in the church. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of self-righteousness. There's a lot of my way is the only way. There's a lot of disunity. There's a lot of intolerance for people who think differently. And listen, I feel this in my own life. I'm kind of sick of people telling me what to do and what to say and how to think and how to act. And I'm tempted to be against people. Do you feel this? I'm tempted to divide people into the groups, to two different groups, the right and the wrong. I'm tempted to be proud. Now, this is not new for me, but it's not the mindset I should have. The Christian mindset is very different than the mindset of the world. It is the mindset of humility. And that humility produces unity. Listen, we are called to absorb mistreatment. We are called to absorb wrongs from others. We're called to absorb persecution because we're following a Savior who took all of this and much more. 
We are not to be proud. We're not to fight to defend ourselves or our reputations. Pride doesn't fit with Christianity because Jesus is laying in a manger. It doesn't fit. That's why if you're a Christian, humility actually seems beautiful to you. It, it resonates with you because Christ lives in you. This is why we don't boast about ourselves or, or fight against those we disagree with. This is why we don't defend the honor of God when our world insults him. Christianity is very different from other religions when it comes to this. Muslims have to defend the honor of Allah. They have to protect his reputation, which is why several weeks ago someone was beheaded by a Muslim to protect the reputation of Allah. First of all, we serve a God who can defend himself. And second of all, our God humbled himself. He allowed himself to be executed. He allowed himself to die on the cross. That's who we follow. Christmas is the end of pride. Christmas is the end of thinking that you're better than others. Christmas is the end of defending yourself and your rights. It's the end of tearing others down and judging others. It's the end of grasping for power or position. Christmas is God bringing humility into a world of arrogance and pride, and it is the humility of Jesus that gives us power to be humble, to be different than this world, and to be unified. Dennis Johnson, I just have to read this quote to you. It convicted me terribly. He said this. Just how great do you think you are? How much respect and honor do others owe you? When Paul told you to count others more significant than yourselves, did you find this instruction surprising or demeaning, since after all, you see yourself as more significant than many people? Think long and hard about the magnificence of Christ. I love that sentence. Church, think long and hard about the magnificence of Christ. It will put your sense of your own importance into proper perspective and bring you down to size. It will narrow the gap between your self-image and your appreciation for those whom you view as less significant than yourself. And one more quote, this is by Spurgeon. He says, what a miracle of condescension is here, that God should manifest himself in the flesh. It needs not so much to be preached upon which I'm trying to do right now, it needs not so much to be preached upon as to be pondered in the heart. It needs that you sit down in quiet and consider how he who made you became like you. He who is your God became your brother. He who 
is adored of angels, once lay in a manger. He who feeds all living things hungered and was thirsty. He who oversees all worlds as God was as a man made to sleep, to suffer, and to die like yourself. This is a statement not easily to be believed. If he had not been beheld by many witnesses so that men handled him, looked upon him, and heard him speak, it were a thing not readily to be accepted that so divine a person should be manifest in flesh. It is a wonder of condescension. And that is the call of this passage, to sit quietly and to think hard about his condescension, about his humility. This Christmas, let's take time to look at the Savior laying in that manger. Let's ponder the staggering humility of Christ and let's allow that beautiful gift of humility to make us a deeply humble and a deeply unified people, a people who overflow with the love and humility of Christ, a people who are different from this world, a united people with the humble mindset of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble. Help us to see you laying in that manger. Help us to see you hanging on that cross. Just give us a glimpse, Lord, and it will change and transform us. Lord, we repent of our pride. I repent of my pride. It has no place in Christianity. God, would you do a work of humility in our hearts that you might be glorified, that you might be in the center of all our praise and all our worship and all our glory, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.